invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to exactly what Abraham, our friend, just talked about. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be looking at God's eternal promise. Like Abraham said a moment ago, God always keeps his promises. Praise God for that. So Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Once you find your place, if you're able to, invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." As we look at this passage, we're reminded of the significance of Abraham, that God had called him out from his family, out of everything he knew and loved, to a land that he would show them. And we knew that through this, this is the beginning of the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew nation, and God did indeed bless. It was told about 100 or so years ago, a British journalist, uh, William uh, Ever, who was uh, a communist, uh, believe it or not, but he was quoted, he quoted this, many of you have heard it maybe, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Interesting, how odd of God to choose the Jews. And then a reply came from Cecil Brown and said this, but not so odd as those who choose a Jewish God, but spurn the Jews. Interesting, when you look at the relationship between Jews and the rest of the world today, uh, there is uh, of course, within Israel itself, and then uh, among the, around the world as well, as well that uh, as Jewish people deal with anti-Semitism, I was, again, listening with some Jewish friends over the weekend. Many share their testimony with me how growing up that they faced uh, anti-Semitism, uh, whether it be in their colleges. I mean, they're talking in America, in the United States. Uh, I talked to one lady who used to live in Grand Forks. Her grandfather started the synagogue there, and how often they would be accused of being Christ killers, by their neighbors, their Gentile neighbors. I mean, we're talking uh, here in our own neighborhood. And so, is God done with the Jewish people? No, he's not. Paul says later on in Romans, has God cast away his people, which he foreknew, God forbid. Uh, and so we definitely believe that God has a plan for the Jews. But how did the Jewish people get started? I think it's interesting that when you look at God's plan and God's plan for the ages, um, exactly where do the Jewish people fit in? We're going to talk about that. By the way, this is kind of a, a leading up to our Honor Israel Day and kind of setting up more of a, a theological understanding of why, why should we be interested in Israel, in the Jewish people? Why should we pray for them? Why should we bless them? And what does this mean? Uh, more than 300 years ago, King Louis XIV of France asked the famous philosopher, philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal to prove the existence of God. Does God exist? And Pascal replied, well, your majesty, the Jews, the Jews, their remarkable story of survival and their journey throughout history till today reveals that time after time, God's word is true. The Jewish people are an everlasting nation. They have been cut. They have been trodden down. They have been accused, but yet they still continue to be there. They still continue to exist. And that in itself is a miracle. The fact that Israel today, we this year celebrating 75 years, uh, the rebirth of the modern state of Israel, is very, very important. Um, it was I don't have the exact quote, but how many are familiar with G. Campbell Morgan? 
Uh, he was uh, he wrote many commentaries. I have some. I actually like a lot of his writings. Really, really interesting. He actually said in the 1930s that he believes that God there was no hope for the Jewish people to ever have a homeland of themselves. Folks, if he only waited about 10, 15 years, he would have gotten the answer. Israel came back as a nation. It's interesting. And yet, what do we do with that? There are many churches today, many Christians, in fact, who basically say, well, that's an anomaly. You know, God is done with the Jews. He's now working for the church. The idea of of replacement theology or supersessionism. In other words, the blessings that were given to Abraham and the Jews are now given to the church. And so it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They would say, pray for the peace of the church. Well, Jerusalem is still there, folks. It's the eternal capital. It's there today. And we're going to find out, actually, in this message today, some significant things. But as we look here at Abraham's story and God calling him out from Ur of the Chaldees to a land that God would show him, he would give him great blessings. He would give them a land. He'd give them a name and give them a family. And with that, a eternal promise, God's eternal promise. And I was there. So with that in mind, as Christians, why should we be interested in Israel? And why, should we, why are we connected to Israel and the Jewish people? We were involved in these three ways, or probably more, but these three basic ways. Number one, for those who have been to the lands, I know some of you have been, some of you want to go, and that's a dream for, for many of us, uh, that the land of the Bible and the message of the Bible are forever linked in other words, Israel's not just some random country. It's not like going to, um, you know, Venezuela or Canada or Korea or whatever country you want to go to. Israel is special in that regard. It's a, Israel's a small country about the size of the state of New Jersey. Uh, the Jewish people themselves, today there's around 15 million Jewish people. That's dramatically less than 1% of the world's population. Yet why is there so much focus on that little piece of land? Why is there so much focus on this people group? And yet, it was through the Jewish people that God has used to bless us in so many, many ways. The land of the Bible and the message of the Bible forever linked. And the greatest reasons, I would say that, that the scriptures themselves were given by God, by Jewish writers. Unto them were committed the oracles of God, as it says in the book of Romans. So again, the scriptures that we have, the Bible we have here is a Jewish book. We went through Isaiah 53 for, for about two months looking at a one precious passage, seeing that this is a Jewish book written by primarily Jewish writers with the possible exception of Luke. We also see here that the Savior was sent by God and lived as a Jewish man. Jesus himself was Jewish. And yet, why do we spurn the Jewish people? We have to have a heart and a love for them. And as Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. Through them, through Abraham's seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We'll find that out. So how did this story get started? Okay, so we're now going to do a, a big object lesson, okay? Um, I need a couple of volunteers uh, who would like to come and help me with this. Are any of our young people like to come and help me? Thank you, Logan. <laughs> uh, Avery? Avery? And Josh, let's get your dad involved too. Why not? Come on up here, guys. And we're going to kind of tell the story of Abraham right now. We saw Abraham in a moment ago, Okay. How many remember that, that song we sang maybe when you were younger? Father Abraham had many sons. And if we sing that song, we'll be here the rest of the day, okay? Because <laughs> it never ends. But anyways, Father Abraham had many sons. So glad, guys, I'm glad you're here. Come over here, Logan. You can come over here. And so remember this. That, and actually, my wife, Mandy, if you can come and help me. You, it's been a while since we've done this, but you'll know this. Okay, so remember that God promised Abraham a great nation, a great family. And God promised to uh, Sarah and Abraham that they were supposed to have a son, right? And, uh, of course, uh, time was ticking away. They were getting a little older, and 
And what happens? Who became that first son? Do you remember? Ishmael. So yeah, Sarah has this great idea. Uh, why don't you go and marry Hagar and have a child by her? And that can be your promised seed. And so who was born? Ishmael. Now, was Ishmael the promised son? No. But was he blessed? Yes. Actually, if you read later on that God did bless Ishmael, he would become a father of a great people as well, who are known today as the Arab people. Okay, and so he'd become a mighty man. His hand would be against others, every man's hand against him. But uh, nonetheless, he is, uh, the descendants of Ishmael are today the Arabs that are there today. So, but anyways, does, is God faithful to his promise? Absolutely. And so finally, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, who was born? Isaac, the son of promise, means laughter. Okay, and so Isaac was born. Itzhak, Isaac, means laughter, okay? So talking about, it says a holy laughter, if you will, that God is true to his promise. So Isaac was born, and yes, he was the son of promise. Okay, and Isaac shall I see be called. All right, now, a little bit later on, Isaac has sons, remember, with Rebekah. And they were twins. What were their names? Okay, Jacob and Esau. Who was the older? Esau. Okay, who was supposed to have gotten the birthright? Esau, but who ended up getting the birthright? Jacob. Okay, so we know about Jacob. Jacob, he, of course, he marries and Leah and Rachel and anyways, the rest. He has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. But also, what about Esau? Esau also has children, and he does. Remember, he, when he lost his blessing, he demanded a blessing, and Jacob did give him a blessing, or uh, Isaac did give him a blessing that they'll basically live off the, the fat of the land. Okay, and so who is the children of Esau? Those were the Edomites. And from the Edomites, later on, one of the descendants of Esau was Amalek. How many remember Amalek and the Amalekites? Okay, later on in the book of Samuel, remember that Saul was supposed to kill all the Amalekites. Not Josh, he's just representing them. Okay, <laughs> but nonetheless, they were supposed to kill all the Amalekites. And who was the king of the Amalekites? Agag, okay. Later on, I go to the book of Esther, and who do we find who is a descendant of Agag? Haman. Haman the Agagite, the bad guy. So there has been contention between the children of Esau and the children of Jacob. Sorry, guys. <laughs> There's been this fighting going on all this time. Anyways, so see, but, and actually, let's skip a little farther. A descendant of Esau later became the Edomians, and there's a famous Edomian king about the time of Jesus. His name was Herod the Great. And still you see Herod's, what he tried to do was what? He was half Jewish, half Edomian, half Edomite. And he actually tried, of course, to stamp out the line of Isaac and Jacob as well. Interesting. So here we have the Middle East as we currently know it. And it stems from what we just read here in Genesis chapter 12. But let me ask you this. Is God still true to his promise? Has he still, does he still have, does he have a blessing for the Arabs? Absolutely, for Ishmael. Does he have a blessing for Esau? In a weird way, yes. Okay. But does he have the ultimate promise is to be fulfilled through who? Through the children of Isaac and Jacob. Okay, so folks, is there going to be peace in the Middle East? There, yes, when they will realize who the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is, that's Jesus the Messiah, and that's when true peace will come to the Middle East. Thank you guys for helping today. Let's give them a hand. They did good. Okay. All right. Yeah, go ahead. So anyways, as we look at this, it's, it's fascinating seeing how the Middle East is coming to life. So in other words, the issues that you see on the news, folks, or that you read in the papers, uh, th this is, has biblical significance. 
And we see even our country and other countries that they try to make some type of peace treaty with Israel, the Palestinians or other Arab countries and all that. And so many times, what is the missing component? The missing component is that they forget to look at the spiritual reason of why that conflict is there in the first place. You have to look at the scriptures. This is where the truth is, folks. So another saying, let's talk about what is this eternal promise of God. So let's talk about the beginning of God's eternal promise. Just a very quick review in the book of Genesis. Here we are in chapter 12, but beginning in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see God's creation and really a perfect environment. It was sinless. Everything is created. Adam and Eve are created. Everything, God says at the very end of creation, he said it was not just good, it was very good. Everything was good as in order as it should be. Uh, and then things changed. In Genesis chapter 3, we have here the first sin, that because of the, the serpent, that Eve fell in and Adam was with her. They partook of the fruit. They sinned against God. We know they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. Okay, and so you have that first sin. And, and then things don't get much better because in chapter 4, we have, chapter 3 is the first murder, or first sin. In chapter 4, we have the first murder. We have Cain killing Abel. Things are really going downhill quickly. And then chapter 5, you have this genealogy. Things aren't much better there. Chapters 6 through 9 of Genesis deal with Noah and the flood. And why did God send a flood to the earth? Because of the wickedness that was going on, the rebellion that was going on in the world during this time. And so God selects one family, a family of eight, to go onto an ark and, of course, to continue the human race. And then you have chapters 10 11. Chapter 10 is the genealogy of the nations, 70 nations that are represented there. And then chapter 11, we have here, how is, how is uh, the people there going to make themselves uh, important? What's the name? Of course, you have Nimrod who comes there. His name itself means rebellion. And he, against turning the people against God. And it's interesting what happens. I want you to go with me to, uh, to Genesis 11 and verse 4. We, of course, know what the people there are doing and what is happening. It says they were of one language, one speech. They were in the land of Shinar. And then in verse 4, it says, And they said, Go to, let us build us a, t- a city and a tower, Tower of Babel, whose top may reach unto heaven. And look at this carefully. And let us what? Make us a name. Look at that carefully. Make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And we know what happened. God confused their languages, and that building project stopped in its tracks, okay? The Tower of Babel. So you have these people, led by Nimrod and others, that they said, let us make us a name. Now go to Genesis 12, and what happens? The people, mankind is saying, let us make us a name, but when God does something, he establishes a name forever, this is what happens, because he says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, get thee out of the country from the kinder father's house, so land I'll show you, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and what? Make thy name, Abraham's name, great. It's interesting. When mankind tries to make a name for themselves, it does not last forever. It will not last forever, folks. But when God makes a name, it's a name that will stand the test of time. It's part of his eternal promise. Is Abraham great? Absolutely, because why? God made him great. This is why. He says, make thy name great, thou shalt be a blessing. 
And so this is what we have. We have this is the beginning of God's eternal promise. But now we get into the three foundational promises to Abraham. Verses 1 and 2 talks about this. First of all, God gave an eternal promise that involved land. It says again in verse 1, I'm taking you from your family, father's house, to a land that I will show thee. That became the promised land. And he comes in from northern Israel, eventually settles in Beersheba, Hebron, and then Beersheba in southern Israel. But that is the land that God would show him. Okay, very important. But anyways, it's interesting. If you go with me uh, a little bit later here, actually go to verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. It says here, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Okay? And in case you're wondering, what does that land look like? Go over just a few chapters in Genesis 15. Genesis 15. And starting in verse 18. Okay, God is making, by the way, before this, God is making a, a great covenant with him. Uh, the, we're talking about the Abraham covenant involved in this, but here is the covenant. Verse 18 says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt into the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, the Amorites, Canaanites, Jebusites, Gergesites, and probably the Termites. We know where you want to call it in there. There's a lot of these countries. Okay, so what does this land involve? So if you look at a map in the back of your Bible, maybe your Bible has maps. And so think, think of this, from basically the Nile River in Egypt to the Great River Euphrates. So we're talking about extending from what Israel's today to Lebanon, Syria, even northern Iraq. So it's, we're talking about this large expanse. Now I got a question for you, and those who are Bible scholars and even modern history scholars today, has Israel... Has the Jewish people ever claimed all of that land? No. Probably the greatest time they ever came close was during the, the reign of David and Solomon. Um, you could maybe argue during the Six-Day War in 1967 that Israel was able to take land all the way to the Suez Canal and the Golden Heights. They were just a little bit south of Damascus. But even there, that is still short, well short of the land that God has promised to them. So again, this is something... That is still yet to happen in its fullness. However, this is something that's very important. I believe here that when we look at May 14th of 1948, 75 years ago, the rebirth of Israel, of the modern state of Israel, I believe is setting the stage for the ultimate fulfillment. And now, like I said, the, the land may ebb and flow. And it has over the years with Israel. If you look at um, from 1948 till now, the land of Israel has ebbed and flowed as far as its territories and the land that they have gotten. But one day, I believe God will be true to his promise. As Abraham, our friend, said a moment ago, God always keeps his promise, his eternal promise. He will make that promise to Israel. By the way, that land of Israel, There's a, sometimes we sang a song where little every promise in the book is mine. That's not true. Because when it talks about the promise here of the land, is that to the church? No, it's to Israel. God will keep his promise, folks. And praise God, he will. We can, we can believe that. So that is one area. The land is the eternal promise. The other was a family, a nation. Verse uh, Chapter 12, verse 2. God says, I will make of thee a great nation. Make thy name great. Okay, so the great nation here is a great multitude, a great family here. So, it, But what's interesting is this. God is speaking to Abraham when he's 75 years of age. All right? He was a young buck, right? 75, all right? But he says this, you're going to be promised a son. That son will come. And Abraham, every day, he's looking at the calendar. All right, God, not getting any younger. Finally, Abraham is finally 100 years of age. And God, 
fulfilled his promise by giving Abraham and Sarah a son named Isaac. We just saw that here a moment ago. What a great blessing to see that. But through Abraham, but remember this. Think about this, folks. Abraham and Sarah, what was the problem when God gave this promise to begin with? Sarah was barren, childless. And God still kept his promise. Later on, Isaac marries Rebecca. What was the problem after they got married? Rebecca was barren, childless. Later on, Jacob marries Leah, but his real love was Rachel. His eyes got real big on that, okay? But what was the problem with Rachel? She also was barren or childless. And in each case, did God hear their cry and did God keep their prom- his promise to them? Absolutely. The thing is this, what is impossible with us is more than possible with God. See, the thing is this, when we get ahead of God's game, folks, we have problems that can have significant consequences, like Ishmael, for example. And now we have this little feud in the Middle East. It's a family feud that's going on. Okay, so very important as we see here. Okay, so as we see this, though, that childless Abraham will become a father of a great family, a multitude of nations, uh, ethnically, as we talked about, like the Arabs and even the Edomites and many others as well, but even spiritually, we'll get to that here a little bit. Later on, God promised Abraham in Genesis 15 that your seed, Abraham, will be as the stars of the heaven and even as the sands of the seashore. A great blessing that God will bless them with. Now, we know that Abraham, like I said, is the father of the Jewish people and also the Arabs of Ishmael. So as we see this here, uh, Abraham was given not just a land and a family, his he and his seed would also get a great name. Again, it says in verse 2, He will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. The name of Abraham is respected uh, among many people of this earth, not just Christians and not just the Jewish people, but even of Muslims as well. I think it's significant to know that back in September of 2020, uh, through the workings of, with President Trump and Jared Kushner and many others that were involved, that the Abraham Accords were signed. At the White House, how many are familiar with the Abraham, or heard about the Abraham Accords? A few of you have. This is something to take notice of, folks. This is unheard of. Since Israel became a state, remember when Israel became a state, I gotta tell you this. When David Ben-Gurion and those first leaders of Israel, they met in Tel Aviv at the Art Museum in Tel Aviv, they actually met the Independence Hall was, believe it or not, an art museum that was in the basement. If you look at pictures of the, the signing of Israel's uh, Declaration of Independence. You'll notice that the windows are up at the top because they're in a basement. In other words, they're there for protection, okay? Here's the deal, because within hours, Israel was at war with five Arab neighbors that wanted to wipe Israel to the sea. In fact, the British government, before then was the British mandate from 1918 up until two, uh, uh, 1948, the British uh, mandate was in, in there, and their belief was this. And that actually affected Jewish believers that were living in Israel, by the way, uh, because they were confident that the Jewish settlers who were there, who were about 600,000 in land, had no chance of survival with all these countries that were about to declare war on that. So they backed out. They offered no help and no resistance. They were on their own. But by God's grace and God's provision, we know that Israel's still here today. Am Israel the nation of Israel lives. Pretty amazing. Anyways, fast forward to all the different treaties. You have Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat, who have the, have the peace treaty back uh, years ago, of course, back in the 70s. But also you have here in, in 2020, this is more recent, there's three countries that got together through the workings of, again, our government, that it was Israel, 
Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates. And what you saw here in the, uh, the White House lawn was very significant. They made a treaty. It wasn't like the treaty made with Jordan or with Egypt back even some decades ago. This is a different type of treaty. The Abraham Accords here actually promise to include trade and governmental uh, exchanging diplomats, embassies, things that would be established in a government, okay? So very, very important. So, But here's significant. When you have these countries, Israel, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, the UAE, these people coming here together, what you have is you look at Bible prophecy, you see what happened back in Genesis, and you see it lived out today because you see the children and the descendants of Abraham and Ishmael standing next to each other, signing an accord together. That happened. Now, they stood together for the sake of peace. The last time we really saw that happen in that regard was, remember this, in Genesis chapter 25, when Abraham died, who was at his graveside? Ishmael and Isaac, giving respect to their father. You know what? There's a lot of problems between Israel and these other Arab countries. We know that's been documented, talked about forever. But here's the thing. They came to a moment of peace for understanding. Now, again, will this peace last? Man-made peace is very fragile. It cannot, who knows? We really don't know if this is going to stand the time. We know according to Bible prophecy, Dr. Schmidt when he was here, he talked about that. There will one day come a peace treaty, a peace giver, who will make a seven-year treaty with Israel, Daniel chapter 9. And at the middle of that, the one who made that peace treaty, the Antichrist, he will break that treaty right there, and he will cause chaos and destruction for Israel. He will try to push Israel into the sea himself. Okay, He will desecrate the temple that will one day be built. So it's interesting seeing all this together. So the, the peace treaties that we see today, I'll be honest with you, that's great when it happens. We should strive to live in peace with one another, strive to live in peace with our neighbors. We should applaud that when that happens. But again, that peace is not guaranteed every day. We should understand that. Peace is fragile. Shalom is fragile. But the peace that God gives is eternal. That's the So when we see this, Abraham is remembered as a great man of faith. That's respected by other countries from his descendants as well, and we see that. But ultimately, the greatest blessing, the greatest promise given to Abraham was to be a blessing to the world. He says in verse 2, Thou shalt be a blessing, verse 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Here's the point. God would make Abraham a blessing. You know, God blesses someone. He blesses you to bless others. That blessing that God gives you is not for you to keep. God has blessed you with a talent. God has blessed you with resources, whatever it may be. God is blessing you to be a blessing to others. That's exactly what he did with Abraham. But the significant point of God's promise to Abraham had two aspects. Number one was a divine protection. Number one says, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Now it's interesting, the, the Hebrew word for curse there, curse him that curses thee, the two curses there are actually two different Hebrew words. The first curse here, to curse him, literally means to dishonor or to make light of. I will curse you. And here's the thing is this, that those who curse Israel, who make light of Israel, who dishonor Israel, who dishonor the Jewish people, will one day face the, the curses that God spoke about to his enemies. When Israel, remember, God says, Israel, if you disobey my commandments, talk about blessings and curses, God will bring these curses upon them. Those curses will then be interred on those who have punished Israel. And we've seen through the centuries, look at those countries and those people that have tried to raise their hand against the Jewish people. The the Jewish people are indestructible. They're an everlasting nation. You think of what has happened with the Babylonians. 
the Persians, the Romans even. We see what's happened even in recent days with Nazi Germany. That fell by the wayside quickly because they will nothing will stand up against of that. So this is very important. So the promise here is the reason the Jewish people exist today. I will bless them that bless thee. It's God's survival. You think there's no, there's no reasonable understanding of why the Jewish people should have this significance. So they have a divine protection in that regard. There will always be a, a, a remnant of Israel itself. Okay, Romans chapter 11. But also they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. It says, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This blessing is very important. So here's the essence of God's calling to Abraham through him and through the nation of Israel. Why did God establish such a people? Why did God establish such a nation? Was to bring knowledge and blessing of God to all humanity, all mankind, to be a light for the, to the world. Through Israel, the word would receive the holy scriptures, the written word of God, and ultimately the Messiah Jesus, the living word of God, clothed in flesh and blood, fulfilled in the, who fulfilled the law so that every person who believes in him can come to God and be cleansed of their sin and be forgiven and be free. This is so fundamental, folks. This is so important that God used this. Now, going back to it, why would God choose such a small people, small nation? The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy that God did not choose them because they're the greatest of the people, but simply because he loved them. God loved Abraham. In Genesis, in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, God declares Abraham my beloved or my friend. Uh, to be called a friend of God, declared by that God, that's something significant. That started with, uh, with Abraham. Now, by the way, this promise is unconditional. Abraham didn't have to do anything to get this blessing. But what did he do by faith? It says in verse 4, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Abraham simply obeyed by faith. He was a man of faith. And he trusted in the Lord for that. And God used him in a great way. So with that, God's eternal blessing and promises are given. So how does that affect us as Christians today? How are all families of the earth blessed in the Messiah? All that are blessed are blessed in him. There is none other name given among heaven whereby we must be saved. We are blessed by the Jewish Messiah. Praise God for that. We are blessed because of them. Also, all that believe of what whatever family you may be, whatever background, maybe I'm full-blooded Scandinavian folks, okay, but I have been blessed by the Jewish Messiah. I've talked to some of my Jewish friends in the past and I was able to share a testimony with them. And I said, well, make, what makes you different? I said, you know what? I am so thankful that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has changed my life through his Messiah, Jesus. I tell you what, that was, was like, what do we do with that? That kind of provokes some jealousy. Wait a minute. I thought that was, those are our people. Those are our heroes. Okay. The thing is this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God that saved you and saves a Jewish person. Very, very important, okay? So here's the thing. All nations should be blessed of him, all that believe. It's interesting that some of all families of the earth are blessed in him. Bible says in Revelation 5, out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation, a multitude redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have all, been, the world has been blessed in a great way because of the obedience of Abraham, because of God's blessing through him. I, I, I always love sharing the story when we were in Israel, our, our church there, Messiah Baptist Tabernacle, uh, actually started out as a Filipino Bible study. Uh, just a great start, study there. Um, and then through the years, we received people from other countries. We had people from Nigeria and from Ghana, from Argentina, from Burma, uh, from Sudan, um, Sierra Leone, Kenya, Germany. I, I'm missing some, I know. 
uh, American expats working for the U.S. Embassy. Uh, we had a, just a variety of different people. And, of course, half of the congregation we had, too, was Jewish. Jew, Rush, Jewish people from the former Soviet Union, Jewish people that were, were born there, they're Sabras. And uh, seeing Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, as it should be. So many churches, they have closed their doors to the Jewish people not to let them in. Jewish people, and then on the other side, are afraid to come. Folks, when Jewish people see a cross like that, to them, historically, what does that represent? Persecution. It was under the cross that Jewish people were forced to convert under the penalty of death. That's the Christianity that they know. They said, well, those aren't true Christians, and I would agree with that. But that's what they know. That's why it's so important for us to really bless them, to love them with the love of the Messiah, folks. Very, very important. Okay? The greatest blessing was that all the families of the earth is blessed is found in Jesus Christ. It's the gospel salvation. It is a common salvation given to all, for all. Okay? We are justified by faith. How then are we partakers of this eternal promise? Matthew Henry said this, It's a great honor to be related to Jesus the Christ. This made Abraham's name great, that the Messiah was to descend from his loins, much more than that he should be the father of many nations. It was Abraham's honor to be his father by nature, and it is our honor to be his brethren by grace. Folks, we're grafted into that olive tree. We get to partake that blessing. Galatians chapter 3 mentions that. Here's the big idea of God's eternal promise. God's eternal promise leads us to eternal redemption in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to those who believe in him. And we can thank Abraham for stepping out like that. I close this message with a, actually lyrics of a, a song that's uh, somewhat heard nowadays. And I think this sums up the lesson of Abraham well. It says here, O daughters of Zion, O Abraham's son, hear the words of your father, hear his promise of love. I will make you a blessing. Count the stars if you can. I will be a great na- you will be a great nation, and I will give you this land. The rest of it goes, so we pray for the peace, but look to the east, for the sun rises sudden and fierce. Every prophet and priest and king in the city will look on the one whom they have pierced. We will mourn for the one we have pierced. But don't fear, O oh my daughters, or sons of Abraham. I will wash you with water. I will offer the lamb. Though your sins were like scarlet, they'll be whiter than snow. I have always been with you. I will never let go. What a blessing it is, the blessing of Abraham. Folks, this is why we should have a love for our Jewish neighbors as well. Whether they come, our ultimate goal is that they would see the Messiah and accept him for who true he is. And even if they don't, folks, we still love them. We love them as Christ would. He came unto his own, even though his own received him not, he still lived for them. He still died for them. He was buried and he rose again the third day for them. And that gospel has been proclaimed from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And folks, you have been partakers of that if you've trusted in Jesus Christ today. And if you are here and have not done that, Come to the cross. Come to the Messiah and believe on him. Look upon him and trust in him and believe in that you get to partake in God's eternal promise. Praise God for that.